Today is a podcast first. I'm not speaking with the fellow RD today, but rather a real-life attorney, Sam Vanderweelen. And Sam is here today to walk us through exactly what we need to do as online business owners to stay legally protected. I have a feeling this will be a popular episode because it's a topic that's been requested in the Facebook group many, many times. And what I particularly love about today's interview is the way that Sam breaks everything down for us. She has seen time and time again entrepreneurs focusing on all the wrong things at the wrong times in their businesses, and they kind of like make a mess of their legal protections in the process. So today, she's sharing her four-stage framework for protecting your online business. From establishing and registering your business to protecting your website and beyond, we walk through all the things you should focus on in order of priority as you start, grow, and scale your online business. So get out some pen and paper for this one. You'll want to take some notes. Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. Hi, Sam. I'm so excited to talk to you today. This is actually my first time having an attorney on the show. So I'm really pumped <laughs> to hear all of your insights. So thanks again for volunteering all of your expertise. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah. So since you're the first legal expert I've talked <laughs> to, can you give us some background of like who you are and like the type of work that you do? I know you do a lot of work with online entrepreneurs. So Tell us more about how you got into that. Yeah, sure. So I was a corporate attorney um, practicing law in the Philadelphia area where I'm from, born and raised. And I was really, really miserable from day one, um, but also spent my five plus years as an attorney totally stuck in victim mode. Um, I thought it had all like happened to me. Like I was sentenced to a lifetime of being a really miserable attorney in an itchy pantsuit. Um, and I spent too long in my opinion, but I guess long enough to learn my lesson, um, in that place until I actually decided to leave, um, and pursue what's my like off duty passion, which is cooking and food. Um, and so I left to start my on, own online business, uh, teaching other people how to cook um, and kind of doing like a little bit of health health coaching-ish in terms of just talking about cooking and like food prep. But that wasn't quite the right fit either. But a funny thing happened when I started my online business. I started meeting a lot of wonderful women like you who started saying like, hey, what's the deal with an LLC? Or like, where do I start You know, with this nutrition business that I want to run? Or um, how do I protect my website? And I was like, why are you guys asking me this stuff? Like I didn't, I never really even thought of the fact that people in our industry would have these legal needs. Um, the more I helped just for fun and kind of explored that curiosity of like, let me just see what it would be like to start talking with people about these topics. I loved it. And I felt, um, kind of like a business doula. Like I was like helping birth these businesses into the world because people felt protected. And so they could go out and start their business or create a new program or start a new offer. And I loved it. So in 2017, I shuttered the health coaching business. I started Sam Vanderweelen LLC, where I sell legal templates and my ultimate bundle program. And there's been no looking back ever since. So thousands of uh, online coaches, RDs, nutritionists later, 
I'm here chatting with you. <laughs> Amazing. I was looking at your website and you have a blog post called Four Stages of Legal Protection for Your Online Business. And it's so awesome. It kind of outlines four different steps that people should take when they're getting started with their business and then also later when they're growing. And since the people listening to this podcast, I mean, a lot of them are all different stages. I thought that would be a great framework to kind of talk through today. So thank you for organizing it in such a, a clear way. So since this is the first time we're even touching on legal stuff, I mean, as we talked about before we hit record, like maybe you can come back and talk about something a little more detailed later. But this is a good, I think, bigger picture overview to legal stuff as it relates to online business. So let's start with step one. You, on your framework, you said step one, legally protect yourself by forming your business. So what does that mean? Um, why do people need to form a business? Why, what's the pros and cons between that versus like maybe just being a sole proprietor or something? Yeah, for sure. So really quick too, to give people a framework for the framework. Um, one of the reasons why I wrote this to begin with is that I see a lot of procrastination when it comes to starting or legitimizing, like moving your business forward um, because of legal stuff. And often that's because people are totally putting the cart before the horse. And so a lot of my like putting this together for you guys, and hopefully we can give them the link to the post so they can see like what I'm talking about. But um, was that I want you to focus on the stage where you're at right now. That doesn't mean that you can skimp on legal protection. Um, you actually need like more legal protection than where your business is now, right? Like a lot of times people will want to wait. And I always jokingly give the example of like Target didn't wait to get their legal stuff in place until they were like in every corner of America. They obviously had it from the beginning. So there's some stuff that we're going to talk about today, which is just like foundational and you need that now. There are other things, however, that you will along the way put in your path as kind of an obstacle, maybe a little procrastination station, and you will uh, just not move forward with your business because of it. So that's why I start with stage one of just like, if you don't even have this in place, you have no business thinking about trademarking your logo or something like that. So step one is all about forming your business properly, not just forming it. Like Erica said, so I talk a lot about, you know, that there's not really a whole lot of rhyme or reason to registering as a sole proprietor, but we can talk about that, especially for what you guys do. But in America, um, we register our businesses in the state where we live. And so you, when you register your business, you're basically going to your state and you're saying, I have a business and this is what it's going to be called. And this is what I'm going to do. And when you do that, you're choosing an entity structure to register your business as. So when you go to your state and you register your business, you're saying, I want to register my business as an LLC, as a sole proprietor, as a partnership, as a corporation, whatever it is that's best for you. That's what you're doing. So what I want you to think of um, in terms of these like entity structures, because it sounds kind of like weird and formal, is that really, I, it's like if you were going to be building your own house from scratch, you would be choosing like the framework of your house. And that's what it is when you're choosing your entity structure. And so when I joke about how like you have no business choose like worrying about a trademark or something, that'd be like working on your interior decorating, like ch picking out couch pillows of a home that you haven't even like gotten a framework for yet. So you're like way ahead, right? So Right now, I just want you, if you're in this stage, to focus on what does your state, what kind of entity types does your state have? LLCs, for example, are all state-created entities, so every state has like an LLC law. Um, what are the pros and cons in your state? 
what do you want to name your business? Has anyone else named their business that, um, both in your state or in general? And just kind of your overall structure. Like, are you owning owning the business by yourself? Um, do you have a business partner? Do you plan to have a business partner, for example? Like, a sole proprietor can only be owned by one person, whereas an LLC can be owned by one person or 20 people, it doesn't matter. Um, a partnership has to be owned by two or more, so you can't register your business as a partnership if it's just you. So these are some of the things you just have to consider and depending on your circumstances. Yeah. There's also like the PLLC or something, like professionals. Yeah. I've seen people ask that question. So what is that? <laughs> yeah. So some states require that people of certain licensure or certain in certain professions um, can't register as an LLC. Like for example, where I am, a lawyer can't have a business as an LLC. You have to be a professional association. That's kind of like the equivalent. So, or like they, sometimes they do this with accountants, doctors, offices. My mom owns her own medical practice. She can't be an LLC. So there are lots of like um, those kinds of rules. What I would encourage you to think about though, because something I hear about in our space a lot is like someone is an RD, for example, and yes, maybe in their state that is something that's licensed, but they're not trying to practice as an RD online because maybe they're acting as more in more of like a coaching capacity and you just so happen to be an RD, kind of like me, right? Like I'm a lawyer, but I don't ever act as anyone's lawyer or give legal advice. So if you're trying to do that, like I had someone, uh, an RD in my ultimate bundle actually write to me the other day and she said, I'm an RD, my state licenses RDs, but I'm doing this coaching thing. And so do I have to register as a P LLC, a professional LLC? I was like, no, because you're that the difference there would be if you were starting a dietitian's practice, right? And you were trying to just operate as that, or if you were like a nurse practitioner and you, your state was allowed, um, allowed you to have your own practice. So it's when you're operating as that thing, right? Obviously, I always say, of course, you can consult your own local, for you guys, it would be a local uh, healthcare attorney. You can also contact the licensing board um, where you're licensed to ask them to say, I am starting a business. I just so happen to be an RD, right? But I'm starting a business where I'm not uh, kind of like carrying myself as an RD or holding myself out as people's RD. And so do I have to register as a PLLC? So that's something you could explore. Cool. And I'm not sure if everyone listening even knows, you know, like, why do you need an LLC? Yes. What's the benefit? And how is that different from maybe like a corporation? Yeah, that is. A, I'm really glad that you asked that. It's a good question. Um, the two main business entity types that people in our industry tend to choose from there is a sole proprietorship, all the cool kids call it a sole prop, and then uh, an LLC, which stands for limited liability company. So both of these can be owned on your own, right? You can just be like one person who owns these. Um, both are typically done by like online forms and registration, a small-ish fee in California. We all know that there's this uh, thing called the franchise tax, which is tax on like an extra $800 per year. It's not fun. I always have like a little asterisk when I'm teaching about LLCs to say like, it's basically the same as a sole prop, except if you're in California, unfortunately. Um, and I think there are a handful of other places like Massachusetts, for example, I think has a little bit more expensive re registration process. But overall, there's something really big that you guys need to know about the difference between a sole prop and an LLC, um, which is that when you register as a sole proprietor, you are essentially the same as your business. You as a person are the same. You're simpatico. You're one. And what that means is that if there was ever a problem, and of course, remember, we're 
just talking about like worst case scenario, bad day here. I, I obviously don't want this to happen, let alone think that this will, but let's just play with it. Um, if you got sued, for example, you personally would be sued and you it, and could be sued and you personally then are at risk, right? And a lot of people will say to me, well, I, I mean, who cares? Like, I don't have any assets. They can't take anything from me. It's like, well, that's not exactly how it works. So if you don't have the money to pay up, right? Like, let's say you get sued for $50,000 and you lose. Um, they will put a lien against you as a person, right? So now like you no credit cards, no buying a house, no getting a car, no nothing, right? So it's not like if you don't have money, everybody just says like, okay, see you later, like have a nice day. Though there will be something that's against you. Also, if you have bank accounts, 401ks, all of that is touchable, right? So the reason I'm telling you that is not to scare you, but for you to understand really why it's so important to personally separate yourself from the business. And so an LLC comes in um, as this mechanism that states created a while back um, to separate people as the owners of their business from the business itself. So the way that I like to explain is that it's like an LLC creates a wall between you as a human, like your everyday Erica self and your Erica, like CEO owner of your business. And so what it does is that in that same scenario, if you got sued, your business gets sued, but you as a person are not sued, right? And so that means at the end of the day, if you couldn't pay up that, that $50,000 judgment, your business owes that, right? And your business might close up, but we're going to talk hopefully about business insurance and that, that shouldn't happen anyway. None of this should even be a problem. That's the way that I teach people how to handle this. Um, but worst case scenario, it's really just your business. You personally can go on with your life. You can start a new business. Um, you, your bank account, your partner or spouse's bank account that your name is attached to totally fine. And that's what we want. Right? So to me, it's just funny to me when people come and say, well, my state charges $50 for a sole prop and 125 for an LLC. And I'm like, but it's such a big difference. Like this is a world of difference. Um, you literally go from zero, you know, just none to what we call limited personal liability protection as an LLC. Cause I, I spend a lot of time and maybe we can give people access to this post, but you need to act like an LLC for anybody who's listening, who already has an LLC. You want to make sure you continue to maintain it and act properly online. Um, and in your business in general to make sure that you maintain that protection because it's not guaranteed and it's not absolute. Um, so it's very important that you know that if you already have an LLC. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Like, what does that mean? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like one of my favorite things. Cause I feel like nobody ever says anything about this. Everybody's just like so focused on getting an LLC, but then no one ever tells you like, Oh, by the way, <laughs> like you have to keep doing things. So, um, so for one, you want to make sure you register it properly. Um, two, you want to make sure that you stay current with the renewals and registration. So most states will have like an annual, what they'll call like an annual report, which is basically you're just telling the state like, whether anything's changed, like your new address or something like that, new agent. Um, and then typically there's a small fee, a renewal fee. So you pay that. And so if you let that lapse, for example, that would be a great example of where like people are like, I registered an LLC three years ago, but they didn't keep it up. And now you don't really have an LLC anymore. It's expired. So that's one. But the, the bigger things to me are more the everyday stuff. So for example, if you um, have created an LLC, all of your contracts, your client contracts, course program stuff, all needs to be in the name of your LLC. And when you sign those contracts in order to maintain that personal liability separation that I was talking about, 
you need to sign them on behalf of your business. So your signature line, for example, if, if I was signing it, I shouldn't just be signing Sam Vanderweelen, right? I sign that in, in cursive, but under my name, it should say Sam Vanderweelen on behalf of Sam Vanderweelen LLC, because I'm doing everything on behalf of my business. It's not me as a person, right? So we always want to be thinking like, where can I reestablish that there's the separation that I'm not acting as a person? The other big part that this comes into play in our industry is with money. So we need to keep our business and personal money separate, right? Because the idea is like, we can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't be like, I want an LLC so that you don't treat me like I'm my business, but then I make my money and my personal like money the same, right? So we need to show that that's separate. You need to keep enough money in your business bank account to show that you have operating expenses. Um, like you make $500, you can't pay yourself $500 because that kind of shows the government that that's not like a real business because businesses need capital and they need business expenses. Um, so that's another one. You have to have clean financial records. So you have to have like some sort of bookkeeping software or I don't know, some very organized system if you were doing it yourself, um, but proof of receipts of things. So again, if you want to show that the desk that you purchased was for your business, then you buy it with your business money, you keep the business receipt, you buy it from your business account, you know, and that all stays like nice, neat, and you'd be able to prove yourself if anybody ever uh, questioned it. So those are, those are the biggest things. Yeah. Yeah. I see people talking about like, quote unquote, like piercing the veil. <laughs> yes. That's what that means. Yeah. So that's what I used to do as a corporate lawyer. I mean, it wasn't my choice, but that's what we had to do. And that's a lot of why I feel so passionate about making sure you guys know this because I feel like it just gets tossed around in our industry of people being like, yeah, just get an LLC. And like people treat it like it's a checkbox, but really there are a number of things you have to keep doing. It doesn't have to be hard or stressful. I think they're things we should be doing anyway, but you should just know about them. And is it ever appropriate to be like a corporation or something like that or not usually? It, not, I mean, I, it's not that it's not appropriate, but it's not common in our industry. That's for sure. Um, the, the big thing would be, and people get very confused about this. They'll always say like, I used to have an LLC, but then I became an S corp. And I'm like, those are totally different things. So um, an LLC is a type of business structure. S corp is a taxation status. So you still have an LLC, but what you do is say to the government, um, instead of taxing me like an individual, because you actually get taxed as a sole proprietor, if you're an LLC, it's very confusing. Thing. But by default, you get taxed as a sole prop, uh, which just means you're a person. You get taxed as a person, an individual. Um, you go to the government and say, I want you to instead tax me as an S Corp. Um, and it gets complicated and crazy, but basically that's something that you want to be aware of once your business starts to make significant profit. Um, once you have a lot of money left over um, after you've paid all your business expenses and invested back in the business and paid yourself and done all the things, if there's still profit, that's when you start to say, mm, I might want to look into this. Um, you do have to be able to pay yourself a reasonable salary. So that might be when somebody, you go on payroll, that, that's what I am. So I'm on payroll, it's just me. Uh, and I just, I have to use a paycheck company and issue myself a paycheck and do all the things. So that's something that you can consider obviously moving forward. Yeah, I'm actually, I've just been looking into this like as we speak. So it's top of mind and correct me if I'm wrong, but like my impression was, okay, so you like give yourself this reasonable salary and you pay, you know, your normal taxes like you would if you were sole proprietor on that. And then the extra you could like take, I don't remember the name, some sort of like disbursement. Draw. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then the taxation on that is lower. 
So that's the benefit. Yeah, uh, the the big benefit with an S-Corp, with S-Corp taxation status is that you only pay self-employment taxes on the amount that you pay yourself as a salary. So self-employment taxes come out of your paycheck. You have to go on payroll. So you have to hire a company kind of like ADP or something. And then um, your self-employment taxes come out of that paycheck, just like if you were working at corporate at Target, right? Um, but the, the, so I know now your question might be like, what's the difference between that and when you just have an LLC like regular? You as an LLC uh, by default are taxed as a sole proprietor, as an individual. And so you are paying self-employment taxes on the whole of your business's profit total. And I think a lot of people don't understand or are surprised to find out that when you have an LLC and you are just doing this like individual pass through taxation, the amount that you pay yourself, like you just like cut yourself checks every once in a while is not a business expense. So you still owe money on that. So the other big benefit to going to S Corp is like you put yourself on payroll. Now I'm considered an employee of my business and that is considered an expense, right? And I'm paying taxes on that but it just cuts the amount of the self-employment tax that you have to pay. I don't pay self-employment taxes on my business profits. I still have to pay other taxes on those profits look pretty heavy. <laughs> yes. Yes. I can't remember what I was reading in terms of like recommended amounts, but it was like six figures for sure. When it starts to be like maybe something that you could look into. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I guess if you ran a very lean business at <laughs> some other um, like lower amount, but um, I would encourage you, that is never something you should do yourself um, because there are a lot of forms that you have to do through both the IRS and there is a state process as well. So you, in your state, you have to actually go to your state and say, I'm an S-Corp now. And so you get taxed differently from your state. Um, you also have to hire a paycheck company and get set up on payroll. So like none of this is something you should do yourself. Obviously keep in close contact with your accountant or CPA to find out if that's right for you. And when our episode comes out, it'll be a perfect time for people that we should mention because this is not always available to you throughout the year. So you only have a short window in the beginning of the year in order to capture that escort status for that current tax year. So like as we're recording this at the end of 2020, it is too late to go back and get escort status for 2020. But if you were meeting with your accountant in January 2021, you could set that up so that moving forward, you're an S-Corp for 2021. That's exactly what I plan on doing. <laughs> yes. Do that. Yeah. As soon as you can. So you could do it for the whole year. Yep. Cool. Okay. So bring it back. So step one, first choose your business entity type. So we've kind of talked through that. Then you register that business in your state, which is not super hard to do it online. Obviously you can use a lawyer to be more legit. And I feel like if I was doing like a partnership or something, like that seems way riskier. Like you should definitely never do a partnership by yourself either because you need a partnership agreement and you want somebody to look over. And if you're starting an LLC with a business partner with another person, um, you need an operating agreement and you want to make sure you independently, this is a really good tip actually, you independently should have your own attorney and then you guys should have an attorney for the company. So there should be like a company attorney and then each of you has individual attorneys because you want to make sure you're personal interests are protected. Okay. So then you do that. Then maybe you need to register with your local, like if you're in like LA County, like you need to register your business there. <laughs> then business bank account. Yeah. So in terms of registration, I always say to work out outside in. So start with your state, then contact your county and, and obviously this is for America, but ask your county if there are any business registration and then ask your city or town. 
Um, and some people, like some people in my community are like, you'll never believe this, but I had to register in all three. And other people are like, nobody asked me and they said it was fine. No one cared. So it really depends on where you live and what the regulations are. But yes, so what you do is you register your business. You, if you're doing an LLC, I also recommend you get an EIN number. The way that I teach people to do this is to get that first. Um, it's a free number you get from the IRS. It's kind of like your business social security number. And what you do is you take the paperwork that your state gives you for having registered your business. You take the letter from the IRS, which they auto generate. You get it immediately. You can just print it out. You take that EIN letter and then you go to your business bank uh, or you go to your bank and ask them to open a business checking account for you. Um, I teach people inside my ultimate bundle program, like making sure you ask for like no fees and, and make sure you ask for free checks and like all, no minimums and all these things are totally negotiable. Um, don't worry if they say that, you know, you have to pay or whatever, ask them. And most of them will take care of that for you. Also remember to bring a tiny bit of cash, like maybe 50, hundred bucks, uh, cause they'll require it to open the account. Oh, that's such good advice. What if somebody like started out as a sole proprietor and then they're like, oh, now I want to be an LLC. <laughs> you can upgrade. Yeah, you can upgrade. So most um, states will have processes for like, they'll have like a form on their website. Um, everybody calls it something different. Some people call it conversion, you know, something like this. Um, and so you want to go on your state's website and see about um, registering as an LLC. Some of them too will just say you can register as an LLC and say like this was formerly a sole proprietorship in the state of Colorado or whatever. You can do that. You can also move these. So I get asked that a lot. Like you move from California to Colorado, you can shut it down in California and start anew in uh, Colorado, or you can keep your one in California. I mean, California is a bad example because I probably wouldn't keep my primary LLC in California if I didn't have to, but um, it, you could keep it there. And then if you move to Colorado, you can register as what's called a foreign entity. Uh, it sounds weird because it sounds like it's outside of America, but it really, they just mean outside of that state. And what you're telling the state, your new state is that your entity is actually has its like home base in another state. So you can also, if you need to move, you can look into registering as a foreign entity. Obviously, if you do that, you want to talk with your accountant about what the tax implications are of paying state taxes in both of those places. Yeah, that's a good point. And this is a question I think is relevant, particularly to my audience. What if you're like just online and you're not doing any services or you're like a blogger? Do you need to be a business? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny because people will say this to me all the time. They'll write to me and be like, I'm just a blogger. And I'm like, okay, let's like back it up. So do you like sell affiliate stuff? Oh yeah, I do that. Oh, do you do like sponsor posts? Oh yeah, I do that. <laughs> like, well, you're not just a blogger. So hardly anybody is like just right. a blogger these days, you know? Um, but I would also say like, if you even, well, two things. One is that d depending on what you talk or write about, um, I would probably cover my butt just to be safe. Like if you talk about food, nutrition, exercise, you know, therapy, self-care, I would do it personally because you're talking about quote unquote riskier things and America's just like nuts with legal stuff. And so that's one. And two is like, if you are like, you know, I'm going to start out now writing this content, but my goal is obviously to create a course or to start a group program or a podcast, then I would like, let's lay the foundation now. 
there's a common misconception in our space that like you can only get sued by clients. And I, again, don't say this to scare anyone, but just because this is the reality of like, people can just sue people for like something you said. It doesn't have to be like, I paid you money to be in your program. Um, so someone can say, I read something on your blog and I had a bad reaction and now I'm blaming you for it. So I think just having the stuff in place is very smart. Yeah. I mean, I've been seeing in the food blog world, like a, cu- a couple big bloggers were sued for like ADA compliance. So like their, whether their website was accessible for people with disabilities, which I mean, let's be honest, how many people have thought of that? Like probably not that many. So yeah. People don't know that it's required. Yeah. Yeah. What's the difference between, you know, being protected via the LLC versus your insurance? Business insurance. Yeah. So these do, these kind of have two different functions. So when you register uh, your business as an LLC, you're personally protecting yourself, right? Like you're removing yourself from being vulnerable to getting sued. Um, and then when you have business insurance, you're financially protecting your business. So what business insurance does is that now that you've set, you've successfully separated yourself, the example I gave earlier when I was like, oh, at least your business would only owe the $50,000. Well, there's not a lot of businesses that could sustain a lawsuit of that you know, variety, let alone pay the lawyer and the lawyer's fees and all of that to defend your business. So what business insurance does, they provide you with a defense attorney. They pay that attorney's fees, obviously. Um, and then if there was a judgment or a settlement um, uh, against you, they would pay for that. So it's just like any other insurance. Obviously the thing that you'd be sued for or accused of has to fit under your policy, right? You have to be covered for that, which is why quality is important in terms of getting like the right insurance. Um, but this is huge. And I hear from people all the time, like, Oh, I went and got an LLC. So like, I'm so glad I don't have to get business insurance. I'm like, no, those are totally separate things. So one, pays the bills and one personally protects you. They're completely separate, different things. Okay. Awesome. That's really helpful. I know there's like a saga going on right now in terms of specifically um, content creators in the nutrition realm. Like I guess people have been trying to get more granular on what they're actually covered for. And it's so hard to get a clear response and people tell you different things. And it's been hard, I guess, people are kind of working together right now to try to find a policy that actually covers everything we want it to cover. So yeah, that's top of mind as well. (laughs) Something I'm on my list for 2021 to like really nail down because I don't think that I'm actually being covered by it for everything that I want to be covered for with my current insurance. (laughs) Sadly, like you think you are and then you read it and you're like, oh, I know. I feel like that's the story of every kind of insurance in America where you're like, are you I thought that was like the whole point of having this insurance and then it doesn't cover. But um, if you want, I could give a quick tip about this, that this is not a guarantee of sorts, but it certainly helps. It was something I used to use a lot um, as like a practicing attorney. When you fill out your paperwork to get insurance, like you'll fill out an application Be as descriptive and thorough and detailed as possible on that application to talk about all the ways that you work with people, all the ways you create and deliver content, all the ways you advertise and market your business. Um, Because if you've asked the right questions, right, which I teach people to to hopefully ask, um, and they've said like, oh yeah, that's covered. Well, now on your application, you're being very clear about how this is like, I have a podcast. I send out emails to my email list. I do this, I do that, right? 
Um, and so you're being really clear. So if later they came back and were like, oh, that's not covered. Like we, we wouldn't have ever covered you for your blog post, for example. You'd be like, I put that on my application and you issued me insurance. It at least creates enough of an issue that sometimes they'll just cover stuff um, because it's a long and very boring story, but there are a lot of regulations around the insurance industry for not um, yanking us around, uh, around around insurance and like making us fight. They you, they don't want to be accused of acting in bad faith. So it's very important that it, we put ourselves in a position to be able to say, I told you that, why would you have given me insurance? And if they didn't, you want to look at the exclusions for your policy to see, did they specifically exclude this in your policy? So exclusions are when your insurance company says to you, we are specific typically not covering this thing like cyber attacks for example it's very common like financial um like hacking like somebody's credit card gets hacked um some people some of my clients have told me that they've gotten exclusions for social media content like they'll say social media content is not covered right but at least it's there and very clear so then you'd have a hard time arguing otherwise but you want to try to be as thorough as possible when you can yeah the current the current exclusion that we're going through with like the policies we've been reading just like a group of my peers was that it won't cover you for like writing liability if you if that's like your main source of income so it's like little stuff like that you don't even like my dream is to like start an insurance carrier for people who have our businesses because I find this all so frustrating that I'm like, I think it's a hole in the market, to be honest. So if any insurance people are listening, go for it. <laughs> Agreed. So just to recap here, just making sure we hit on all the points from step one. So step one was forming your business. So you're choosing your business entity type, like an LLC, probably. <laughs> um, then you're registering in your state and locally if you need to. Then you're setting up your business bank account. We, did, we didn't really touch on this, but connecting your business bank account to your payment gateway, which I feel like is pretty, obviously you need to get paid. <laughs> Hopefully you yeah. do that stuff. People, people always seem to figure that part yeah. out. <laughs> and then you're getting business insurance and then you're kind of yeah. like step one, check. Yeah. That's like a very solid legal foundation. I would be very, very proud of you if you got all of that kind of stuff and you would be very confident to be able to go forward and promote your business. Yeah. Awesome. Then we're moving on to step two, legal protection for your website, which should be very relevant for everyone listening to this podcast. So you kind of outline three website policies that everybody needs to have privacy policy, the terms and conditions, and the website disclaimer. So let's get into that. So what are each of those things uh, and why are they important? So privacy policy is actually legally required. We're legally required to have that one. And that is where we tell people um, what kind of personal information we collect from them on our website and associated pages. So maybe that's just like their name, their email address, birthday address, depends on what kind of thing. Even if you have just like a contact me form on your site, obviously if you're building an email list, anything like that, you're collecting personal information. So this policy is tell pe telling people not only where, like on, in what places on your site that you're doing this, but also why, um, what you're doing to protect it, um, how they can get it out of your hands, like uh, all of that kind of stuff, right? So the privacy policy is required not only by 
uh, a series of like privacy laws in U.S. privacy laws, but also states like California, for example, have their own state law that says if anyone from California can visit your website, you're required to have a privacy policy that says certain things. So there are like a lot of reasons why you have to have it. And I always just say like, it's going to be worse for you to listen to me telling you why you have to have it than just like, believe me, you have to have it. Um, yeah, so that one's required. The website disclaimer, especially for what you do, um, is one the one that I say is the most legally important, right? So although no feds are coming for you if you don't have this one, uh, you will be glad that you do if um, you put content on your website and if you talk about you, your services, what you do, all of that. So a website disclaimer, really, its primary goal is to tell people like who you are, what you do, and what you don't do. It, I think the, the last part being the most important, right? Um, and then also telling them, uh, just kind of being like honest and upfront about other things you do on your website, like earnings disclaimers, for example, like saying that when you talk about how your clients have made money or you've made money in your business as a, as a form of like establishing yourself as an authority, that these are examples, right? Or that there's a lot behind these numbers, even things like that. We also disclaim for um, affiliate links, or third-party endorsements, like um, you write a blog post about a food item or like a cooking tool or something like that. So all of that is baked into your disclaimer. And then your terms and conditions are like the rules and regs of using your website and of a purchase process if you sell what I call like quickie digital products. So if you're selling like a downloadable thing, um, a template of sorts, that kind of stuff can be covered by terms and conditions. Um, so it's talking about like the payment procedures, refunds, um, owning your intellectual property, all of that. Yes. And I feel like people listening are going to be like, okay, how do I know what to put in here? <laughs> Help me. <laughs> so like, what are your tips? <laughs> Yeah. So, my, well, my tips are to not try to write this to yourself um, because I, people always say like, uh, can you teach me how to write this thing? I'm like, sure. You can apply to law school like right here and pay however many hundreds of thousands of dollars I sunk into that and then studied for the bar and, you know, whatever. But um, you don't have to do everything in your business. So there, you have to wear a lot of hats as a business owner, but lawyer does not have to be one of them. Um I think when it comes to lawyer like stuff and CPA tax money things, these are just not things I'd mess around. You're, I think people spend a lot of time like beating themselves up for feeling that they can't write this or they don't know what's supposed to go in it. And I'm always just a little bit like, it's okay. You're not supposed to know. So it's all right. Um, so I would not try to do this yourself. Obviously option number one is if you can afford it, you can go to your own attorney near you. Um, if you can't, if that's not something for you off the bat or some people just don't feel as comfortable, that's obviously what I do. So I sell legal templates. I sell all the website policy templates, all the contract templates that you guys need. Um, they take like 15 minutes or less. You fill them in. Um, I just would not go the like copy and paste route from other people's websites. For one, you do get caught. I've been notified of some pretty hilarious situations, but um, you do get caught. It is copyright infringement, both of the person you steal from, but also the lawyer who wrote it. So you don't want to get caught up in that. But more importantly, it's that they're just not going to cover you because like what works for Erica, for example, would not work for me because I do very different things. We sell things in different ways, right? So as you build out your business, you're constantly going to be worrying, like, is that policy or is that contract actually good enough? Does it cover me? Because you don't know what it says and it was never really yours to, you know, start with. 
Yeah. I've had that happen to me actually. Like you get like, well, cause I put links in my policies and then somebody used it on their website, but didn't take the link out. <laughs> and I got the backlink notification. I was like, oh, that's mine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, wh- what do you think though? My struggle is like, okay, you get the template and then are you, are, what if you still feel confused <laughs> about like what exactly to put in there? How detailed does it get? Yeah, I was gonna say you should definitely not feel that way if you're using my template. I mean, I can only speak for my templates, but they're they're only you're only filling in like your name, your business name, your website address. I've done all the legal writing for you. The reason that they take 15 minutes or less is because you're just putting in your personal info or what I call uh, like game decision, game time decisions. So it's like if you want to allow a five day refund policy, but I say ten, like you can change that. It's little things like that are really just up to you. Um, but there are very few of those. So they really should not take a long time. And then the other thing is that if you still even just fill them out, I've had some customers of mine say like, I just want to feel even more solid. I'll take these to a local attorney, make sure that someone looks over it for me. It's a much more affordable way than going to an attorney outright because they're going to charge you probably upwards of like $500 per hour to start several thousands of dollars for like one contract versus a couple hundred dollars on my end. Um, and then you pay them for like less than one hour's worth of work to review it. Totally. That's a really good tip. Yeah. And then I'm just thinking about like, cause I know in WordPress, it can like auto generate some of it for you based on what plugins and stuff that you use. So I'm just like thinking maybe that would be different, like person to person, depending on, you know, what information they're collecting based on the plugins that they have too. And a lot of times too, there's stuff like beyond even our websites or whatever, but a lot of people will say to me now with like these, like all in one platforms, like Kajabi, for example, or they'll use like lead pages and they'll say, oh, they gave me like a free terms of use that I can include at checkout. I'm like, yeah, have you ever read it? It actually just, it protects them. It's it's for you to use to protect the main, like the host mm. of whoever. Um, or if it has language about you, it's super generic and it's not going to do anything. Um, it's also not just about the language. Like a lot of what I spend my time teaching people in the space is that yes, you need the template and stuff. But the reason I actually created my ultimate bundle program is because I give them all the templates, but then you need to learn how to actually use it properly, right? Like you need people to agree to it at checkout the right way. You need to send a follow-up email. You need to have people sign or e-sign their contracts correctly. You need to send contracts correctly. Like there are all these like little things that it's not just about the substance of the thing that you're sending, it's actually making sure it's enforceable as well. Super helpful. So uh, just to recap, like what you offer. So you have templates and then what exactly is the ultimate bundle? Yeah, sure. So you can get any of my legal templates a la carte because I want you to be able to mix and match what you need. So you can get any contract or website policy or three, four, five of them, whatever you need. Um, and then each one of those comes with a how-to video tutorial where I walk you through how to fill it out and explain to you what it means and says. And then I have my ultimate bundle, which gives you 10 of the most essential DIY legal templates, like all your contracts, website policies, course agreements, programs, all of that. Um, Plus you get access to 35 on-demand legal trainings, teaching you everything from how to form your business to getting business insurance, to work safely with clients online, to running sales calls um, and pre-screening clients that you avoid legal headaches, um, all the way down to uh, protecting your intellectual property with copyrights and trademarks. So I cover it all. And I recently completely revamped the Ultimate Bundle after having now like hundreds and hundreds of people inside. 
I wanted to build it out for the future of, of where I think our industry is headed. So now there are even additional trainings about scaling your business, like becoming an escort, uh, starting an affiliate program, all of that. Cool. That sounds super helpful. I should probably buy that. <laughs> I know. I have to say, like, I kind of did everything backwards. I, my business was like totally off the cuff and I did not focus on the legal stuff. And I'm just now nailing all that down and, and also like accounting stuff. I just did everything myself. So now I'm like, all right, now I need to get serious. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe you'll be surprised or maybe you won't be surprised to hear that my clients are 50, 50. I have 50, um, percent startup entrepreneurs who are like, I want to do this right from the start. And the other half are the six figure entrepreneurs who are like, whoops, I forgot to get this done, but this feels really serious now and I need to take care of it. So yeah, you'd be a welcome company there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think since you work in this niche, I feel like not everyone knows about online stuff. So that's something to consider. That's what's baked into all of my templates, like everything that we do, like the way that we deliver stuff. I talk about podcasts. I talk about like webinars, you know, all of these things that we do. Yeah. You're just not a normal attorney. They're going to glaze over. Yeah, totally. Okay. So to recap, we've got our three website policies created by a lawyer slash template by a lawyer, <laughs> privacy policy, terms and conditions, website disclaimers. I was like looking at other people's websites <laughs> that I've browsed. And I just wanted to ask you, like, I've seen other people, like they have full on other pages for certain things. Like I've seen people have a cookie policy or I found somebody had an advertising policy and they were all like separate. Does that matter or can that all be together? Well, the cookie thing nowadays is like the more the pop up, like somebody has to agree to. And that's because of some recent additions to the law. Those are so specific. And I would also work with your website designer, if you have one, um, to help you integrate something that's you know, legally safe for you, but doesn't ruin the experience of being on your website. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a businesswoman first before <laughs> being a lawyer. So I'm always worried about that. And um, so yes, there's that. But what I mean, in terms of the policies we just talked about, I recommend that there are three separate links on the bottom of your site, each labeled as whatever they're called. So one should be privacy policy, disclaimer, uh, terms and conditions. You don't want to lump them all together in one document. It's a huge no-no. It's always a tip on my end. When I go to someone's site, I can tell that they did it themselves. Um, I can also just tell by looking at the policies, but um, you want to have them three separate and they need to be posted in the footer of your website and they should be across your whole site. So like whether I go to your contact page, blog, about whatever, they should all be there. Yes. And then this is a really random question that I, just my own curiosity does it matter like the terms and conditions things? Like I've seen some people call it terms and conditions. Some people are like terms of use. Some people are like terms of service. Like, are those all the same thing? Yeah. So it's not that it's the same thing. I feel like they, people just call it different things. So like I call my like terms and conditions are, is a website policy versus terms of use is a template that I sell that is for an online course or membership program. So something that people, I always say it's for the thing that you sell in your sleep. Uh, so it's more to be used as a contract as opposed to terms and conditions, which is something that people agree to when they visit your site. I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, to be honest, if there's a perfect right or wrong here, but the way that I've differentiated this is that there are a lot of people who need terms and conditions on their website as a website policy, but don't necessarily need terms of use because they're not selling like products, digital products directly from their site. Yeah. And then like, this might be getting really in the weeds, but like you have, your, say you have your terms and conditions on your website and then 
could you have like a separate terms of use, like consent checkbox when they're at the checkout for a product? Yep. That's what I teach people to do because the way that I'm thinking about it is like, if you put blog content on your site, like the terms and conditions should apply to that. Or somebody like me where I sell digital products on my site in the form of the legal templates, but then I use the terms of use for my ultimate bundle program because it's more of a program that you're buying, not uh, an individual template. So yes, I definitely recommend that. Okay. Super helpful. I think that's what I'm doing. So hopefully <laughs> correctly. you're nailing it. <laughs> I mean, it depends too on, I think like the, um, the system like that you're using. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mine already had it set up to have a checkbox there. I just needed to like put the page to show. Put the document in. Yeah. It wasn't too hard. It's just important that it's important that people even know that that's required so that when you're picking a system, for example, I am always teaching my students, like make sure you pick a platform that allows you to add that at checkout because some don't. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So Website policies, check, check, check. <laughs> and then you have as your next step for stage two, setting up an email list and complying with canned spam laws. Yeah, it sounds really fun, but it's not. <laughs> so what's the canned spam law and what does that mean? Oh, can spam. So can spam, which always reminds me of like a can of spam if I'm not the only person. <laughs> but um, can spam act of 2003 basically regulates in America what kind of emails we send to whom and why. Right. So basically, in a nutshell, in like non lawyer speak, it says you can only send emails, marketing and advertising emails to people who sign up for your email list, right? I actually just did an Instagram story about this today because I got a random email marketing something. Maybe this is more helpful to do like a real world example. I got an email from someone where it was clearly a marketing email. It was like a mass generated email, not to me personally, um, from someone saying like, hey, I got your email because you follow me on Instagram. Well, following you on Instagram does not mean that I joined your email list, right? And that would be bad. That would actually be wrong. That would violate can spam in and of itself, just that she did that. But she took it a step further and then pitched me to buy her course in this email, right? So what the can spam act does, for example, is say like that woman couldn't send me that email because I never signed up for her email list. It also labeled that email as a marketing or advertising email because she's selling something. Although I am of the mindset that like in our industry, you're kind of like always selling something. Like even if you don't like directly email them about your program. That's what we do. Like at the end of the day, you want people to sign up to work with you. It's a business. And so technically all of your emails are marketing. So because I never signed up for that, she can actually be fined up to $10,000 per email per person that she sent that email to. Right. And obviously I'm not doing anything about it, but I just shook my head and unsubscribed, but, um, someone could, right. Right. Um, yeah, it's just not a good look. Um, so can spam says that, you, you know, all of that stuff about like who you email and how and whatever. It also says that you have to have the unsubscribe button at the bottom of every one of your marketing emails. So don't get too hung up on this for like your personal, like if I send Eric an email directly to her, I don't need to have that. It's like when I'm sending out my mass email list emails. And then you have to have a working mailing address on the bottom of your email. I highly recommend getting a PO box or going to like a UPS FedEx store type of thing. Or when we can all go back to like in-person stuff, if you work at a co-working space, a lot of them will allow you to use that address. And so you want to have an address that you can receive mail. It doesn't have to be your home. It has to be somewhere. And it also says that um, you then have to honor those unsubscribe requests in a reasonable amount of time. 
Um, and so really you just want to have as part of your like maintenance routine in your business and making sure that when people are requesting to unsubscribe, it's actually unsubscribing them. Yes. So long story short, use an email marketing platform. Yes, exactly. Like you don't have to manage all of this yourself. And uh, the only other thing I always joke is like, if you're, if you're a, um, a dietitian, for example, don't start emailing them about vacuum cleaners. Like, you know, sometimes you'll start getting emails from this person and you're like, what? I thought she like was a health coach and now she's like selling me vacuum cleaner. So you don't want to use your email list. If you change businesses, you have to invite people to then be like, to come over here, like click this link or take some action so that you have proof that this person wanted to receive emails from you about that general topic. I'm not saying you don't have flexibility. Like if you're a dietitian, you could send the emails about cooking and about meal prep and about macros and whatever else you, you know, it's in your realm. It's just like, if you start to like sell products or something that have nothing to do with what you're talking about, I think you guys can discern, but yeah, 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 totally. Okay. That's super helpful. So you need, you basically need to get these policies on your website, probably sign up for an email marketing platform, like maybe ConvertKit or something. I know you use, and I also use. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love ConvertKit and they're very good legally speaking, by the way, cause they have like GDPR compliance is pretty solid. They don't subscribe stuff. I mean, I've never had a problem. I've been with them for four and a half years. So yeah. 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 I like them a lot. But just for the sake of time, I'm going to zoom past. So then once that's all set up, then you just need to make sure you're using your website and everything in your scope appropriately. And then set up your client onboarding systems if you're seeing clients. People listening probably do do that, but that's not the focus of my podcast. So no, I'm trying to teach people about the stuff beyond one-on-one work. Let's say you did all that. Cool. Step two, protect your website. Pretty much done. Then step three, you say get solid contracts for solid legal protection. Get lawyer-drafted legit contracts for each client service or program, like one-on-one, group programs, course membership, digital product purchase, etc. Make sure they're signing them in the right way and have a good follow-up system. I like that you're helping people kind of follow along in a logical way so that people aren't like, like you said, focusing on their digital product purchase contract when they don't even have a business yet or something. <laughs> so. Yeah. Because people would be buying your product, but you can still personally get sued. So like, what's the difference? Yeah. So you're saying when you're at this stage, then it's probably worth it to work with a lawyer to set up these individual contracts for your business. Yeah. I mean, at, at least getting templates from someone like myself. And then if you can have an attorney near you review them just to make sure any like state laws are complied with um, or if there are any like very specific things that you do that you need someone to look at. Um, but yes, I would just make a list of any way that you work with people, anything you sell and make sure you have a contract for that. And then what do you mean by a CYA follow-up system in place <laughs> for max protection? These are my favorite emails. So um, what I always say is that if you sell something that people are buying automatically, so not essentially not a one-to-one client relationship or not a group program. So because I'm assuming in those situations, you're like physically emailing them a contract or something. But if you're selling like courses, memberships, all that kind of stuff, then um, what you're, you know, people are going to be buying this stuff all the time, hopefully. And when they do, they're going to have to agree to your terms of use when they do. So what I suggest is that you build in automatically, I have this in my customer nurture sequence in um, ConvertKit, that one of the first emails that they receive, which is, you know, also welcoming them and giving them the links they need and all that says at the bottom, P.S., 
here's a copy of the terms of use you agreed to at checkout when you purchased the ultimate bundle in, mm. in my case. Um, and then the term terms of use is actually a link to a PDF document of the actual terms that they agreed to, because anytime I update the terms uh, at the checkout, I just upload it as a new PDF in ConvertKit. Love that. And then step four, bump up your legal protection as you grow. So let's see, you say like, oh, this could be relevant when you're like hiring independent contractors, definitely things like a little more advanced, like affiliate programs, because yeah, those like need their own whole set of, of documents. You even mentioned if you have a podcast, you could consider sending your podcast guest contracts. I'd like to hear more about that. <laughs> I think on mine. I just had when people submitted that they wanted to be on it, like one checkbox that says like, I agree to like allow this to be published in perpetuity, like without compensation or something. (laughs) It's really about like, yeah, using their likeness um, and saying like, I'm going to promote this, um, not paying them and having them confirm that they know that they're not getting paid, not giving them a final say on the podcast edits um, and that they understand that by recording the podcast, you're going to go ahead. Um, also giving you the right to like never air it, uh, not promising them anything. You know, if you say like this sucked or like I decided to cancel my podcast or so maybe you'll do that after my interview. You'll be like, I don't want to air this. Like I don't have a right to forcing you to do it. Um, so like stuff like that is really big. And that you own the copyright to the interview because like that, that's kind of related to that idea is like, it's your intellectual property. You can do with it what you want. Yeah. For me, it's just like, every time you try something new, you should be like, okay, do I need to to add something here to my workflow? And you probably do. Yeah. I just want people to be aware of it. That's why. I, and that I, I put it in there for two reasons. One is to make people aware, but two is to show you the things that you don't need to focus on until you get this other stuff. Like you have no business about it. I had someone write to me the other day saying she was getting, she needed to get a VA contract up and running, which is the independent contractor one. And she's like, have you formed your business yet? Like you don't even have a business, right? So who's hiring this person? Cause you don't want to be personally hiring them. Um, and you want everything that she's doing to be in the name of the business. And you want to be capturing her work that she does for you as a business expense. So that's kind of like an example where like, if you didn't have the other stuff set up that we just talked about, that's just, you're not, you're not there yet. And we've talked for like an hour solid on like pretty nitty gritty stuff. So I'm excited. People are going to be like taking furious notes and I will put the link to your, to your actual blog post in the show notes. I'm at the unconventionalrd.com. And then you can just find this podcast episode number right there under the podcast tab and it has links to everything. So I'll link to this exact blog post that we're talking through and obviously your templates and your ultimate bundle as well. I have a feeling those will be popular. (laughs) But yeah, so basically you're saying step one, form your business, (laughs) like get all the, the nuts and bolts. Step two, make sure your website is protected and that you're following all appropriate laws for communication with people. Step three, start getting more contracts for what you're actually doing right now. And then step four, when you start to expand and maybe add things like a podcast or, you know, you're doing like a summit. I just interviewed someone uh, about summits. So stuff like that, I'm sure would need their own legal protection as well. So yeah, I mean, in your opinion, if someone's listening to this and they need help with their legal stuff for their website, would you say the ultimate bundle is like your, your most recommended thing? 
Yes. I mean, the reason that it's so popular and the reason I created it in the first place was really to give you this like safe space that you could continue to come back to, um, not only for where your business is now, but for where it's headed. And so um, I'm continuing to add to it all the time. You get future program, you know, lifetime of the program updates as well. Um, but it's great because it gives you the foundational documents you need, like the website policies and the contracts. Um, but then you also get these trainings you can lean on no matter where you are in business, there are trainings for you in there. Um, and I actually just remembered when you just said that about summits that I'm adding a training in about how to legally like run an online summit as well. So that I really tried to cover everything in our industry. You also have the benefit of being in a members only community, um, with me, obviously. So you get support from me with any clarifying questions you have. Um, but I think the cooler thing is like when I log into the member community every day, I see so many people in there helping each other. So like an RD will post in there to say like, I'm having this issue. I have this question. And there are tons of others like them who have gone through it or who have experienced it. So it's really cool. We have literally every variation of <laughs> a coach that's ever existed. Um, and we have obviously so many RDs, nutritionists, um, NTPs, everything. Probably like a good place to network too, <laughs> you know, because like people who are taking it seriously and ready to get their legal stuff all nailed down and are like probably pretty serious and cool people to get to know on a little more intimate level. And you could probably make some cool connections just by meeting other business owners. It's funny you say that. I always encourage them uh, to mingle with one another. And I've started hosting like master classes just for bundle members. Like I did a Instagram master class with them earlier this year that was pretty popular with them. And they were talking with each other. And I was like, yeah, you guys are all like serious, like do the right thing, go getter people. You should be hanging out. So I actually created a bundle member directory for them where they can post in what they do and they've been like referring and working with one another and collaborating. It's really cool to see. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Super yeah, good idea. It makes me very happy. Yeah. Cool. Well, seriously, thank you for being here today. If people want to connect with you, I mean, obviously you can go to your website. Is there a certain social media platform as well that you hang out on the most? Yeah. So I would say come over and say hi on Instagram. I'm at Sam Vanderweelen on Instagram. I'd love it if you send me a DM and let me know that you met me here um, and just connect with me. Let me know what you do. And if it's okay with you, I'll tell them that I have a free workshop they can take called five steps to legally protect and grow your online business. Um, you can just go to mylegalworkshop.com or you can head to my websites all over my site. But in that uh, workshop, it's a one hour training where I teach you my five step strategy to legally protect your business, walking you through it step-by-step. Step. So I definitely recommend that as a place to start. There's also an exclusive offer and discount to join the ultimate bundle that you only get from watching the workshop. So I highly recommend checking that out if you're interested in it. Super good strategy. So yeah, I will put the links again. And I mean, you could obviously type it in directly, or if you are on the go and you want to find the links later, they will be on my website at theunconventionalrd.com. Well, thank you again for being here and you continue to be such an awesome resource <laughs> for online health professionals. Thank you. I'm, it's my pleasure to be here. And if anybody has any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. I would love to connect with you and just thank you so much for having me. God, wasn't that such a helpful episode? If you still have other legal questions running around in your mind and you'd like me to have Sam back as a guest on this podcast in the future, let me know what questions you still want answered by posting in the Unconventional RD Facebook group. That's my free Facebook group for anyone who listens to this podcast and is interested in growing their online business. We have over 10,000 people in the group right now, which is absolutely wild. Just search for the Unconventional RD community on Facebook and request to join.
Catch you next week.